Welcome to this edition of the Golf Central Podcast presented by Callaway Golf. I'm Lav, soon to be joined by Rex. And in this week's episode, we talk about Liv's latest bid to secure world ranking points. We look at the various happenings over the past week in golf. Ryder Cup one year out, Bryson going deep, the value of the fall events on the PGA Tour. And obviously, obviously, folks, we're going to talk about what's on the grill this week as we are in the heart of football season. But first... The Chrome Soft golf balls from Callaway are better for the best and better for everyone. This new family is available in Chrome Soft, Chrome Soft X, and Chrome Soft XLS. Each of these golf ball offerings incorporates the company's proprietary new precision technology for the latest dispersions, consistently fast ball speeds, and total performance. And of course, they deliver the soft, responsive feel and control that players love. These new golf balls are available now. You can head over to CallawayGolf.com to see which Chrome Soft is right for you. Rex, this feels now like a weekly uh, apology in which my voice sounds absolutely terrible. We were, were supposed to record this pod earlier in the week. We were supposed to do a TV hit. All of that was canceled after I dealt with a second bout of pink eye, as well as some sort of various uh, virus that has just been ravaging uh, the Lavner household. 26 of the past 30 days, I have either been sick or on prescription medication. It's really been a great stretch. Uh, it's like life in a Petri dish for you. And, and I understand the idea here. I lived through three infants in the house at one time. I understand that they come in and out and they're just going to pass it around like a football that you're going to get pink eyes. She's going to get pink eye. They're going to get pink eye. And you're just going to keep tossing it around like it's a hot potato until finally it burns itself out. But yeah, you, you've, you've had a rough stretch. And I have to admit, like you didn't get off to a great start. You're a little rusty on the read as well. So let, let's clean that up a little bit. <laughs> Apologies to Callaway. I will be better next week. Assuming of course I haven't gone down with something else. I must say Rex, I thought that pink eye was, was merely like the poop virus where some sort of fecal matter and you touch your eye and it's, it spread. It's just sort of gross. That is not true. And I know that's not true because I've teledocked uh, several times over the past couple of weeks. And that is not true whatsoever. And really it's just the manifestation of a virus. It can a virus can show itself in many forms, runny nose, uh, cough, obviously, a fever if you have an infection. And you could also just have severe eye gunk. Uh, And so it was probably the best uh, thing for us that we did not do our hit uh, yesterday on golf today because I couldn't see out of my left eye uh, and uh, things were just uh, sounding actually worse than they are right now. Tomorrow, Thursday, recording this on Wednesday, Thursday, we're supposed to appear on golf today to talk about what. Uh, we're not really sure, uh, but it should be entertaining by the less. You thought that's how you got pink eye. Yes, I thought it was merely from basically having fecal matter on your hands and then not washing them properly and touching your eye. I was I've been told that for 34 years. By who? The Internet? The Internet. I, I mean, that's like an urban that's like an urban legend, isn't it? Yeah, I, I've never been told that. I would have never put those two together. I assumed it was just a type of virus that just happens to manifest itself in your eye. I had no idea that. I don't that even ever touch my of... eye, which is like, I never, ever touch my eyes. I'm like, I mean, weird. that's I, not I true. You wear contacts. Touch... No, I don't. I wear reading glasses. All right. Well, then you you definitely touch your eye. Like taking I your don't. glasses off, I, putting your glasses I, on. I, I intentionally avoid touching my face at all times. Like this was like a pre, this was like a pre COVID thing. 
everyone has seen this now. Anyone that we work in proximity with has seen sort of the routine that you go through. We were just talking about this last week, that you have a very, very sort of, I don't want to call it an ADD routine, but it, it is because you usually have a pin, pin in your mouth that yep. you're that not flicking still, back and forth. Still not, still not touching my face. Uh, but again, you have something God in your knows, mouth. God knows of, where that pen has been. Yes, yes. And then you have glasses on, as you just pointed out. But then when you do the, the final read through, your final edit before you send it along to our oh, desk folks, Tough scene. you do the leak. Yeah, you, you do the lean in, which is someone sitting behind us last week at the President's Cup even had to say something like, I mean, lab, it's like you have 20 point type, you have glasses on. Why do you need to read in, lean in? I can read your your story from here. People in the back row can read your story. It actually became a, a bit of a talking point because at the President's Cup, uh, I tweeted out the Sunday singles and I, I used Microsoft Word <laughs> to do so. And the recent font that I've been using is Comic Sans, where if you know anything about Microsoft Word and, and fonts in general, it's a little bit of a goofy uh, style font. And uh, anyone who, who knows me journalistically uh, knows this, and obviously Jay Coffin, our former boss at Golf Channel, knows this intimately well, uh, that I'm very very odd probably in in general but in particular with font if the font doesn't look right if it's not sized right i literally am it's i'm like paralyzed it's not even like writer's block i'm literally paralyzed cannot even get the first word onto the page and so i tinker i tweak I, 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 I mess with the font. I mess with the size i mess with like the zoom window i'm currently on 150 percent zoom uh, on Word. And so my technique, uh, which I would not really advise, is do 38 point font to begin. That's how I write 38 point font when I write. And when I edit, I go down to 12. Normally, normally, Rex, you would think you do the opposite, that you're a 12 point font while writing. You know, it's all on the page. You can you can kind of um, weave in and out as you see fit. And then when you get to the editing process where every word, every punctuation mark needs to be heavily scrutinized, that is when you would think you would go bigger. No, 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 no. Mm. Right now I'm big, I'm small. And then we send in what's your, what's your process? Just, just kind of slap it together, together, send it in, slam the, (laughs) slam the laptop down and go finish your second beer. That's right. Uh, until we had this conversation last week, I didn't even realize I had probably been using the same font, which I had to look it up because I had forgotten the name. It's an American, it's an American typewriter, which is very straightforward, very basic. It's exactly what you would think that a writer would actually use. It never even dawned on me. Oh, God, that it looks if horrible. That looks absolutely horrible on my screen. I have taken screenshots and tweeted it, and no one has ever commented. Like, they commented on whatever clown font you were using. Like, it, that was ridiculous. And I, I was, I normally don't. It's like an jump. old person font. I don't which, jump with which the crowd. I learned from Doug Ferguson of the AP, who, yes, is in his 50s. And he, yes, he's an old person. I, I will say I normally don't jump with the crowd when it comes to social media stuff because I'm kind of like, well, there's probably a reason behind that. But but when I saw you starting to get buried on this one, even I had to say something like, man, that 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 makes you look like a psychopath. You realize that, right? Like, <laughs> it, it does. It's such a goofy <laughs> font. I mean, Times New Roman. Uh, I, I don't think I've ever used Times of Roman. Like, can't even get can't even get a word on the page. I'm a big Georgia guy, not just because uh, I went to Georgia, uh, but I like I like Georgia font. I've I've basically messed with every single size when it comes to Georgia. Uh, but I, I've been using Comic Sans now since the Open Championship. I talked to Fergie on Tuesday of Open Championship week and have used it ever since. I really like how it flows. I like how it looks. 
I like the little waves in the font, which I'm pro- that's probably not the correct terminology, but I think it has a good flow uh, on the screen. I'm sure I'll be uh, paralyzed here shortly and in dire need of another font. So if you guys have suggestions, you know where to find me uh, on the Twitters or my... So Georgia email. or Georgia Pro would be your go-to here? Is that what you're telling me? I, I use Georgia for Georgia forever, and then I would always just mess with the sizes, the zooms, things of that nature. I think, I think Georgia looks really good. And for a while, I thought that Sports Illustrated used a Georgia font, just really small. But then I learned that they actually have like their own special font. Why does a golf channel have its own special font? I'm like a font guru, or at least a, a font psychopath, uh, aficionado. And I don't, I don't, I really don't like the font that we use on our website. When we transition to NBC Sports com slash golf i hope that the font at least is at least run past me uh since i'll be the one uh contributing to the website i think that's fair not to give up what i'm watching but if jeffrey dahmer was worried about fonts i'm guessing i know which one he would use <laughs> comics <laughs> comic sans 38 point uh there's no uh doubt sounds about like it. and i hate that show by the way it's an awful show the bunk mate is making me watch it and i can't watch more than one at a time because i just can't stomach it it's so disturbing so Shout out to the bunkmate. I hope she pops on to our season finale of the Golf Central podcast presented by Callaway Golf. Uh, we'll probably have a series of holiday-related ones uh, that she definitely needs to make a cameo with. I can't wait to see the time codes uh, for this podcast record because that was just 10 minutes about fonts, fonts. and uh, people, matter. people matter. <laughs> That's probably going to have to be edited out. Rex, as I mentioned at the top of the pod, we're recording this on Wednesday and the big news, uh, or at least significant news i'm not sure how big it actually is quite yet is that live golf has entered into a quote strategic alignment alliance with the mina tour now strategic alliance of course was the terminology used by the pga tour and the dp world tour that they entered into last year which have seen some co-sanctioned events on both circuits as well as now uh 10 the leading 10 players on the uh, dp world tours race to dubai also receiving PJ Tour cards at the end of the year. Now, you may be wondering, what the heck is the Mina Tour? I'm glad you asked, Rex. The Mina Tour, uh, typical developmental circuit, does 54-hole tournaments throughout the Middle East and North Africa. Thus, Mina uh, started in 2011. And here's the main point, Rex. The Mina Tour was officially recognized by the official World Golf Ranking Board in 2016 and so by entering into this strategic alliance and thus making their tournaments co-sanctioned with the mina tour that is a move that live golf believes is hoping will lead to its events receiving world ranking points which greg norman and company have desperately wanted ever since the launch of the rival tour back in june what was your main takeaway from this news release today uh, not to get into a long conversation about journalism, I felt like the hook of this story was I needed to hear from the official world golf ranking. The only people we've heard from is the Mina Tour, and there was a statement. Also, there was a quote inside that statement from the COO from Live Golf, who, of course, believed this to be true. They want this to be true. They expect this to be true. They used all the, the keywords. All, they went back to all the things that someone's going to do. It doesn't make sense in my mind that this is going to work And for some reason, the Asian Tour Strategic Alliance, they didn't call it that, but there's clearly an alliance between Live Golf and the Asian Tour. Somehow that didn't work 
And so now you've turned to this mini tour. Maybe it's because this mini tour, the Mina tour has 54 whole events and that fits better with what live golf product is, is the only thing I can think of because in my mind, and I remember having these conversations when they, right before the announcement that they'd sign this huge multi-million hundreds of millions of dollar deal to essentially become the benefactor for the Asian tour. $300 million is, investment. 300. Yes. That this was going to be the end road. This is how they were going to circumvent the world ranking problem was always going to be a problem. Not only because you, you don't meet the criteria, largely don't meet the criteria of what the official world golf ranking demands of tournaments to be included inside the ranking, but also you were going against the establishment. Everyone on the ranking board is a person of interest when it comes to, oh, we're not going to benefit from Live Golf being successful, from a representative from the PGA Tour to the DP World Tour to the majors to the RNA, everyone else. And so there was always going to be a difficult time getting in here. And I thought when they, they announced the Asian Tour Alliance or partnership, whatever it was, that, okay, this is their workaround. This is how they have found a way to We've get into the back We've already seen players play these international series events on the Asian Tour. Patrick Reed's played in a bunch of them. Uh, I mean, there's there's been more than but a But it's a zero-sum game. It's a zero-sum game. For, and Patrick Reed is the perfect example that he shows up and he plays these events. But – specifically the way to the changes to the world ranking, which occurred earlier this year, they leave those events with virtually no points. You're not gaining any ground. You're probably losing ground if you go and do anything but win, which you would think that Patrick Reed should win that, but he didn't when he went and played in these events. And so that clearly wasn't going to work. Now, for some reason, they believe that this form, that whatever they've put together here, and they've called it their strategic alliance. I don't know if that's a backhanded slap at the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour, their strategic alliance. Yes, it is. Or they're the, they're the king of petty. Or if this is just some sort of way for them to come up with something that works. Because in my mind, okay, I can see this. If essentially what Live Golf is doing is buying the Minotaur, and we're making all of the Minotaur events part of our schedule, and our schedule also is going to include these 14 events that get $20, $25 million purses and everything that we know about Live Golf, then yes, there's a conversation to be had. But I don't think, and we're going to have to wait, because journalistically, I, I didn't feel comfortable writing this story or reporting on this story right now, until the world ranking makes an announcement one way or the other, and they've remained radio silence. I texted them first thing this morning and haven't heard anything back. Until they say anything, I think we're all just flying blind. And you can't go by what Liv Goff says, because they have a dog in the fight. Certainly, I wouldn't go by what a PGA Tour representative would say. And I had one call me this morning and they clearly have a dog in the fight. The world ranking is the only one, only person that's going to have a say in this. And until we hear from them, I don't know what to make of it, to be quite frank. The world ranking uh, did not respond to a request for comment. We did write it up uh, on golfchannel.com. Thank you for the promotion there, Rex. But the hook was that they've entered into this strategic alliance. The implication, of course, is that Liv is now hoping that it's an avenue for them to receive world ranking points, how much that will help, if at all, uh, remains to be seen. As you mentioned, hopeful, expect. The Minotaur uh, has sent the full field because now it is a co-sanctioned event with the Minotaur. That's the first event for their wraparound season, as well as the sixth event on the live circuit. They've sent their application, the final field list, to the World Golf Ranking. They are expecting, quote, expecting to receive world ranking points uh, before the final round. So keep refreshing 
uh, the official World Golf Ranking website to see just how many first place points uh, Dustin Johnson could snare this week or potentially uh, refresh your email to see if it comes through. You mentioned those two possibilities, and I don't disagree with you. This certainly uh, appears to be a little bit of a loophole if it, if it works out for them. Great. They probably deserve to get world ranking points at this point anyway, with 12 of the top 50 players in the world. But I think the second point is if it is, if it is rejected, I can see that triggering the lawsuit. And I, I have a feeling that this is probably going to end up in the court system anyway, live versus the OWGR. If this is rejected, if their application or their strategic alliance is rejected by the establishment and the OWGR board, I think that triggers a lawsuit. Uh, and it's kind of uh, the, the catalyst for this whole thing. I, I, you do make an interesting point, Rex, with this Asian tour investment that they've made. And we've seen livers go over there uh, and gain just absolutely a measly amount of points. We've already seen in what is a very small sample size that these limited field events just are not going to be, they're not going to receive the, the same allocation as they did last year. I think back to, the tour championship back in 2021 and it was John Rahman, I believe Kevin Na who tied for the lowest 72 hole score, which is how uh, the official world golf ranking recognizes uh, that staggered start format. And both of those players received 51 points. And that was a share uh, of the first place prize this past year, Roy McIlroy, that comeback victory slash Scotty Scheffler collapse, just got 38 points for winning against 29 other players. So that's an indication where with live golf and their 48 man fields, or even the hero world challenge, Tiger Woods bash in the Bahamas uh, set for December TBD, uh, whether uh, Eldrick will be teeing it up in that one. They're not going to receive that huge bonus that we've seen in the past, even though the stars are gathering to me, that feels fair. Does it not like the hero should never have received the equivalent of like the Nelson for winning the Nelson. Like to me, that was always outrageous. No, and it, this was always going to be a difficult issue for the world ranking, if not the powers to be around it, because the the implication here all along was, well, if Tiger Woods wants world ranking points for his event, of course we're going to give Tiger Woods world ranking points for his event. And a decade ago, when this first came up, everyone agreed that, look, we all know what Tiger means to the game. Just give him whatever points he wants for the Hero World Challenge. And he actually made some concessions about how the field was made up. I mean, the world ranking did push back a little bit. And he made some concessions on, okay, these are the only people who are allowed in there. I think they made a stipulation that you had to be ranked inside the top 50 and that even a sponsor exemption had to be inside the top 100, the case may be. But yes, that, that sounds to me one that's going to get weeded out in this process. Now, I, I did find it interesting. The last time when it, a Minotaur event received any world ranking points was May 2022. And four points went to the winner. That was their only, only the- tournament since the start of, the, of COVID back in early 2020. That's their only tournament was this past May. Uh, yes. And, but there was a zero field rating. Now keep in mind that the way they structured these field ratings now has changed dramatically since then. So essentially based on what we do right now, it's, it's almost impossible to imagine how their events would get any points whatsoever, but now you suddenly throw, I don't know how many top 50 players are still within that 48 that make up 12 live golf events. Is that, that it? So now you throw 12 in there and there will be a manufactured number, whether if you like it or not. I mean, just the way the rankings work is they look from top to bottom now and they decide, okay, these are the players who are ranked inside the top X. And so we're going to award this many points. There would be dramatically more points than just four points to the winner. And it is a way mathematically for these players to maintain some sort of ranking. It would be hard 
because we're in a situation now where the, the rankings for these players has, have has already bled off so much that you're heading in the wrong direction quickly and you're building steam in the wrong direction. So I don't even know how much this would actually help those players maintain that position inside the top 50, but I think you're right. At the end of the day, this is, this is about a lawsuit, and I just got through writing about the other Live Golf lawsuit this morning, and there's just going to be more, and this is probably going to be the next step. That's okay. You got a two-year deal. That's the only thing you're going to be doing over the next two years is sorting through uh, this That's lawsuit. I do, I, do, I do find it funny that the Mina Tour, uh, their minimum total purse for their uh, tournament schedule that's kicking off this week apparently in Thailand is $75,000. To put that in perspective, $75,000 is $45,000 less than the last place finisher at this week's live event, which of course has a $25 million purse, uh, including $4 million to the winner. Rex, you were on a conference call yesterday, perhaps, I think, maybe, uh, with the Ryder yeah. Cup captains, Zach Johnson for the U.S. and Luke Donald uh, replacing the deposed, Henrik Stenson for the Europeans, one year out for the Ryder Cup. I know you and I are both very excited to get to Italy and Marco Simone. Marco Simone, folks, is how you pronounce it. Not Marco Simone, as I've been butchering on this podcast all year long. Listening to both captains, uh, did you have a takeaway from how the boys are feeling 365 days out? Uh, two takeaways. One, I'm going to miss miss Henrik Stenson more than I could have possibly imagined. And, and we, I think we talked oh, about Oh, he would have been podcast. fantastic. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I'm going to miss him. And I don't even know that he would have been a good captain or not. I don't pretend to understand what makes a good captain and how they influence teams and outcomes and anything along those lines. But Will, I will, will tell you is he would have made things exponentially more interesting than what they are right now. And this is, please, I mean, I, I have covered Zach Johnson since he turned pro. And, and we have covered Luke Donald since he was in college. And, and both of them are extremely talented players and wonderful human beings. So I'm not trying to take anything away from these two individuals. I'm just stating the obvious. They are boring. And both are just going to be boring captains. Both of them are going to dance around and not say a word. I mean, and bend over backwards, not to say anything even remotely I don't think Zach is I don't think Zach is disinterested. No, no, no. He's he's very much I think he I think he tries. I think he tries. I I I don't agree with that. I I don't agree with that. And and again, I've covered him his entire career. I've done feature stories and, and, and cover stories when I worked at golf week magazine on him, when he first made it onto the PGA tour about the God next bless thing. you. I know I like, I tried, I, I tried my best. And again, he is someone that I respect because you look at his career and, and you think someone who hits the ball and plays the game the way he does probably should not have had as much success during that era that he did. Because if I, and I hate putting this into context, but if a player like a Bryson DeChambeau, had to play his second shot from where Zach Johnson's second shots were. I don't know that Bryson has as much success as Zach Johnson. There's no way to prove that, but I just would point out that in the age of the bomber, in the age of just getting it out there as far as you possibly can, and it doesn't matter if you hit it straight or you're not, he won a major at Augusta National and he won a major at St. Andrews. That should get you in the Hall of Fame. That, and the big picture, is one of those things that you're like, well, yeah, like he had a special career. All that being said, vanilla. As vanilla as can be, boring. And, and this is what this Ryder Cup is going to be. And it's kind of sad because it could have been so much more with Henrik. It could have. I mean, the dry uh, Swedish humor uh, is, is going to be dearly missed, of course. I, I think both captains are probably a little bit wary of providing bulletin board material this far out. I don't think Zach Johnson needs to beat his chest. I think everyone has 
saw what happened uh, last fall at Whistling Straits when the Americans uh, won 19 to nine, the most lopsided uh, result in the history of the Ryder Cup. I don't think anyone needs to tell Luke Donald that they're probably uh, there's a changing of the guard with European leadership with Lee Westwood, Sergio Garcia, Ian Poulter, all out Roy McIlroy, John Rahm, uh, probably Victor Hovland. Now the faces of that group. And so I don't think the one year out ceremony was a, was a, was a time to start, you know, riffing or you know, ripping their opponent. Like that was never going oh, to happen. And that's not what I'm expecting. No, 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 that's not what I'm expecting. What I was expecting. Well, no, I wasn't even expecting that. It just made me miss him. That's all. I mean, by yes. comparison, well, I think that's, and, and I yeah, would I argue that, and this goes back to Steve Stricker at the Ryder Cup and, and even Davis Love, like in, in Davis Love is someone that I've certainly covered enough over the course of my career. They, in this particular case, you're not going to get anything interesting. And, and this is by comparison, going back Jim to the was exactly the way it was exactly the same yes. way. And you're right. He's just not going to ruffle feathers. I, I do find it interesting now because we had this conversation about sort of the next line of succession, which the Americans have done a good job of ever since, you know, whatever happened in Scotland and then came up with the task force, that there is a clear line to get to to become a captain now. So now Webb Simpson is clearly in the pipeline. When we're talking about who kind of falls into that pipeline next, I think you brought up Matt Kuchar, and I would agree with that. But I think we had a, a quick conversation about Kevin Kisner being in that pipeline as much as i would like to say that he's like true, the young he's like the young freddie i i find i i don't know if that that is true i don't know in the, when it comes to resumes i don't think you need to look well i don't yeah i don't think i don't think his resume stands up to being a captain i could i could just see him if they're in a pinch and they needed like the fourth guy or a fifth guy i don't even know how many vice captains these guys are allowed to have now it's, it's whatever it is it's way too many uh, for their respective pods i could just see him being a popular choice in the team room that's all i don't i don't think it'll oh, actually happen absolutely but i think the establishment would push back on that and then by the establishment i mean the players have a voice here i mean this is the, this is sort of the first vestiges of player empowerment when it comes to golf however in this particular case because kevin kisner is probably not going to be that guy that gets on a stage a year out and doesn't say anything interesting he's going to he's, he can't help himself He's going to get on stage. He's going to say something interesting. And the powers that be probably aren't all that crazy about that. You think, so think Webb Simpson and Matt Kuchar are going to light it up too? No, no, they're not. That's what, that's my point. That if you want to paint a picture, if you want me to, to do a resume or to do, do a job posting on exactly what an, a, a Ryder Cup or a president's cap, captain needs to be, just look at any of those three. You can even go back to Steve Stricker. Any of those guys respected in the team room, really, really good resumes. And when you put a microphone in his face, he's not going to say anything even remotely interesting. Like, and I was thinking, that's it. Four bullet thinking, points. That's all you need. And I was thinking, who's going to be in line for 2025 now for the Euros? You can't, it, it's not going to be Poulter. It's not going to be Sergio. It's not going to be Lee Westwood. It's probably Justin Rose. If we're forecasting, Justin Rose isn't like, I've, I've had nothing but great interactions with Justin Rose when it comes to a media setting. However, if you get him in front of a microphone, you give him some pressure uh, to, to answer some tough questions, I don't think he's necessarily going to uh, fill up the notebooks either. However, uh, this, is, this is the one tournament year that I'm fine with that. I don't need the captains to be... But I want them to. Overly, well, I mean, obviously, we want them to be uh, enlightening and revealing and funny and anecdotal. Like Those are all the things that, we're, that we sit in those press conferences for. It's just, it's just not going to happen. Fortunately, the Ryder Cup is so fraught with drama Anyway, that I don't think we really need it. And the storylines one year out, uh, which will only become more crystallized uh, as we move into 2023, are so obvious. Can this dominant 
American team win for the first time in 30 years on foreign soil. I don't think there's any reason uh, predicting whether they can or can't now. We don't know uh, what's going, what that team is going to look like. If you uh, have a minute, make sure to go to golfchannel.com. I wrote a feature on this very topic where uh, I, I argue that the greatest challenge uh, for this American team is actually making the roster. That might actually be a more arduous task than defeating the Europeans. And so, uh, yes, that's certainly Zach Johnson's task is putting these guys in the best position to succeed. One thing I did think was interesting, Rex, and you wrote a blog on it uh, on the website was that much like Davis of the third here a couple weeks ago at the president's cup, Zach Johnson expects that Tiger Woods will be a part of team USA in some capacity. What that means we don't really know. I was kind of struck by that, though. What does Tiger Woods have going on in late October 2023 that he can't make the trip over to Italy with the team and be a hands-on assistant captain? To me, that it just rings a little bit hollow, and I don't, I don't understand it. You can have a much greater influence, a much greater impact if you're on-site, all hands on deck, as opposed to just texting or calling Zach or what have you. To me, it was a little weird. No, no, not to me. And the reason why is apparently he couldn't get on a plane and get into a golf cart and drive around Coil Hollow two weeks ago. And this all this all stems back to apparently David Charlie had a say. very apparently Charlie Woods had a, a very big golf tournament where Dad was. Yeah, and he, was he he's got life going on. I mean, what was what was Tom Brady's line at the start of the season? The, the really good line, like, "Look, man, I'm 45 years old. I got stuff going on. Like, I it was like a, a divorce, like, like a desor- yeah. like a divorce from a Super Bowl. Well, I, I'm not comfortable with that. I'm not. You think that's what's happening? The New York really? Post is reporting that. I, I don't feel Post. Anyway, oh, he's got, Tiger Murdoch, Woods is, is 40-something years old. He's got the stuff company that Tom Brady's about to start working for. Yes, Tom Brady's getting a divorce. Uh, that makes me sad. Anyway, uh, he's got stuff going on. And if he couldn't make it to Charlotte, then I, I'm kind of with Zach saying that, man, I don't know where he's going to be 12 months from now, physically, mentally, family-wise, what, what's going on with kids. I mean, it, it's impossible to tell. And when it comes to Tiger Woods, I think everyone has learned that you, know, you, you probably need to hold off on that one. Let's don't name him a vice captain just yet. And it, this go this sort of dovetails with the idea. We don't even know how much he's going to play going forward. So, no, that one didn't stand out he, to me. And if, I did, he can, if he can play in the Open Championship, next year it's at Troon, right? Uh, if he can play in the Open Championship, he can surely hop on a flight in late September with nothing else going on. He would not have another tournament start until probably the hero later that year, like you can hop on a plane and drive around a golf course. If it means that much to you. And by all accounts, we have heard how much it means to tiger woods. And he, he's got his own pairings team. He loves pouring over all the data that the analytics team is sending over to him. Like he absolutely eats up this stuff. Like it's some sort of call of duty game. Like if it means that much to you, he should probably be there. No, I just think it's too early. And, and you're, yeah, I, I just think you're reading too much into this. I, I, don't, I just, It's impossible to say where he's going to be. Look, he's, he's coming up on almost two years removed since that auto accident in, in L.A., and it's still clearly a factor in his life. He still clearly is not 100% healthy. He's probably never going to be 100% healthy. And so it, it is impossible. I did not take anything away from that. The part that got me, and I wrote two blogs out of that press conference, one about Tiger, because that's what people want to click on. And the other one, which was much more fascinating to me, was the idea that Marco Simone, which you're right, we both we nailed it. There's been a lot of people who have been mispronouncing that for quite a while. I, I, I didn't get a read from either captain when I asked him that 
I, I think Le Goff National in Paris set the standard when it came to a captain can set up a golf course in such a way that really takes advantage of, of his team's strengths, which in that particular case, it was relatively straight off the tee, good putters, and really dig into the other team strengths, which for the American team in Paris, it was, I got some bombers. And all they want to do is stand on a tee and hit driver and then wedge it out. And then you look at what they did. You and I both walked around that golf course just wide-eyed because it was nothing but thick, rough, ringing fairways. It looked like a U.S. Open setup from 1995 with the rough manicured back towards the tee box at 300 and 310 yards. I mean, it was tailor-made. You got to give Thomas Bjorn, the European captain, credit. I mean, he came up with a masterpiece that would – the only people on the American side that could have played that golf course were the darn – we're the vice captains. I mean, if you, you were to switch the you, team thank out. You, thank you for not swearing on this podcast. Darn. I'm not going to do it. It's a family podcast. But when I press both captains, because Zach Johnson saw uh, Marco Simone for the first time this week, and he was more taken at the elevation of it all and what a physical toll it's going to be. And then I, I pressed Luke Donald for the idea of a home course advantage, and he dismissed it, which is what every captain – is going to do before they actually get there. And if his team is lucky enough to win Sunday, he's going to brag about how I set this golf course up perfectly for my team. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand like to this setup and, and everyone says, you, you know, if you're, if you're the Americans, you make it as wide as possible, as long as possible, trim the rough down, make the greens as fast as possible. If you're in Europe, you pinch the fairways in, make it shorter, slow the, slow the greens down and have the rough, as long as possible. Does that actually still hold up? Like this isn't a team with Pierre Fulke and Paul McGinley and Philip Price anymore. We're guys who play solely on what is, you know, now the DP world tour who are, who are used to those conditions week in and week out. Like most of these dudes live in Jupiter or Arizona or Las Vegas. Like they're used to the PJ tour setups. Like I, I understand that they're trying to give themselves a home course advantage as much as possible. Like that, to me, that comes with the fans or time change or whatever the case may be. Like, I just wonder 20 years later, whether that golf course setup philosophy still holds true. I mean, apparently it does because all these teams now, I mean, you're not debating, teams. you're not debating that it had an issue that it, that it factored no, into like the in at all, in 20, right? And, and I'm like in, in 2018, that American team in, in hindsight had, had, Zero chance. I mean, Phil, highly inaccurate. Bryson, highly inaccurate. Tiger coming off uh, just a really busy stretch, which culminated uh, at Eastlake with that with that cathartic victory. Like that team was never going to win. In, in in hindsight, yeah, you'd probably want Kevin Kisner on that team. You probably would have wanted Zach Johnson. You probably would have wanted Steve Stricker, guys who are going to be threading the needle. But like you look at the European team. Are they slightly more accurate drivers of the golf ball? Yeah, sure. But like it was still Francesco Molinari who's playing as good as anyone. It was still Tommy Fleetwood who's one of the game's best ball strikers. It was still John Rahm and Sergio and Rory. Like the guys can just flat out play no matter where you are. And so I'm not sure. I watched uh, the tournament a couple of weeks ago that was held at Marco Simone, the Italian Open uh, that was eventually won by Bobby McIntyre, who of course uh, is vying to be on this uh, European Ryder Cup team, like there's not a whole lot you can do to this golf course. Maybe you can play with some of the tees. Maybe you can grow up the rough a little bit. It looked pretty gosh darn uh, hard as it was just watching it on TV. 
take it easy there, potty mouth. And you don't know what that team's going to look like is kind of what Luke Donald answered when, when I asked him about this. And you're right. By the time we get there, you could have both of the Hoygos who are, are very much bombers. They're cut from the American mold of, of how they play golf. And, and maybe you want it set up. Maybe you want them to show up and there to be absolutely no rough and everyone is just playing bomb and gouge. I mean, maybe that's what you end up with. But I was I even told in Whistling Straits to me, and I think I wrote this even before that week's Ryder Cup, that it w- sort of broke the mold, that it wasn't the type of golf course that Steve Stricker was going to be able to set it up specific to the American team. However, I've, held, I've had two stats people actually kind of show me the spreadsheet and say, this is what he did to this golf course. And, and there was some extra rough in some positions that I don't think I realized that week. And it had, it had an impact on a, a couple of, of different matches. So I still think there is a time and place for it. I don't think we're ever, ever going to get to another golf course like Paris. I think in retrospect, Paris was such a dramatic golf course for the European side, for that specific team, hitting fairways, putting on those greens, that, that you're right or slower than normal. The American side, you're right. Phil Mickelson was never going to hit a fairway that week. I mean, I would argue that of the 12 players on that American team, if four of them made the cut, if that was a stroke play event, oh, it would yeah. have been a good week yeah. because it yeah, just exactly. it was never going to work for them at all. I, I am mostly curious, obviously, to see if the Americans go in for the first time in 30 years, whether uh, this new look European team uh, can kind of prove some of the skeptics wrong, but mostly to see, or maybe not mostly, uh, partly to see whether this home course advantage holds up. You look at the last four Ryder Cups, <clears throat> they have all been decided by at least five points. I'm like, they've been absolutely, they've been absolutely whoopings uh, for the home team, whether it was Europe uh, soundly defeating the U.S. at home or vice versa. And so they just have not been competitive. And so I'm curious to see whether the home course advantage uh, has actually gone uh, too far. We'll have to stay tuned for 363 days uh, to see if that actually holds up. I know you wanted to get into Bryson DeChambeau, the aforementioned Bryson DeChambeau, who uh, back in 2018 was hitting it all over the lot, uh, and now he's hitting it all over the grid. This was supposed to be a sideshow last year when Bryson, uh, almost immediately following the Ryder Cup, uh, showed up at the World Long Drive Grand Championship and surprisingly finished inside the top eight. Uh, I think he was kind of heralded as a uh, wonderful moment for Bryson and what was a very difficult year. Fast forward a year, Bryson actually performed better. He finished second. He finished second. He's 20 yards off the winner. Uh, what was your – I know you wanted to get into this, Rex. Uh, because Bryson, we haven't actually talked about Bryson a whole lot when he was one of the biggest newsmakers of 2021. This was uh, arguably one of his greatest performances of the year. Uh, it might be his greatest performance of the year because I, I don't know about you, but I don't think a lot of people are paying attention to what he's doing on Live Golf at the yeah, moment. He's, but not, he's has, not doing anything. He did have a top 10 at the Open. Uh, that's true. Oh, and, the and he seems to be healthy is what I would take from that. I mean, Clearly, he's hitting 407 yards. So that's that's a step in the right direction, because regardless of what you think about Bryson at this point and regardless of what you think about any of the live golf players, I mean, you can't wish ill will or ill health on any of them. The part that I wanted to touch on was and he, he sent this statement. I, I don't know what it was, because it starts with a lot has happened this past year. Well, all right. That, that's kind of the obvious. And then he this starts to this was like a narrative. This was like a short story. This was a. It was a mini novel. It, it was like a Russian novel. And, and he started the second paragraph is, I guess where I'm going with this is, and then he just keeps going. And I, I guess I walked away from reading this and, and I was so confused. Like, this is just a guy that needs a hug. 
This is someone that doesn't have someone in his phone that could just call up and be like, hey, bud, you got a minute. Like, I need to talk some stuff out. I've got some stuff going on in my life. Does he need a hug or does he need attention? Because those are two different things. Uh, Maybe he needs both. And and I'm not here to to pass judgment. And look, we've had the mental health conversation on this podcast. I'm not going to bore anybody with that one. In this particular case, though, like if you're close to Bryson and you see this and he's sending this out, don't you immediately just be like, how about instead of this, we just talk? How about instead we we just sit down and we work through some stuff? Because it seems like you got some stuff going on. And you're right. There's probably some attention seeking going on here, because as you just pointed out, we have not mentioned if you were no one's going to keep track of this. Actually, you know what, Jason, I need you to keep track of this. How many times did we mention? Are you actually listening at this point of the podcast or did did we lose you on the fecal matter discussion? Jason, I need you to step in on this one. No, he's not here for it. Keep track of this. Find out how many times we mentioned Bryson DeChambeau's name last year on the podcast compared to this year. Because my guess is he's not in the top 10 in our PIP. I I don't know if he's going to be in the top 10 of the PGA (laughs) Tours PIP, but he's not going to be in the top 10 on our PIP. And you're right. For someone that loves to be in the spotlight, and I think all of the PGA Tour pros do, they love being the show me guy. Like, I can pull this shot off. Bryson probably more than others. And suddenly being relegated to what is a back burner right now. And we don't know where – this is going to go with live golf and we don't know, you know, there's a lot of rumors about uh, TV contracts and everything, but being relegated to kind of an afterthought that certainly has to have an impact on them. The part that gets me is reading this. And I had to read it a couple of times. It's longer than some stories that Steve DeMegler have written. Steve, hope you hope you're better, pal. We, we miss you. Um, I, I, I came away thinking to myself that it, this has been a hard year for him. There was an injury. There was, Obviously, the he had signed with Live Golf. He backed out of Live Golf. He signed back with Live Golf, and now he's just kind of been competitively irrelevant. And if you if you would have said that a year ago, where after the Ryder Cup, I thought he had a pretty encouraging performance there. He made eagle uh, and drove the green in that first hole on Sundays. Like it, it, it seemed to be, you know, they kind of had that fake hug with Brooks Kepka the press conference afterward. It's it seemed like things were finally turning around for. For Bryson after what had been a pretty traumatic year with getting bullied, getting trolled, getting mocked, getting teased, getting taunted. And it seemed like he'd finally kind of worked his way back in the good graces. And then, you know, he's been so committed to this long drive circuit, finishing the quarterfinals there uh, just was like a pretty incredible achievement. And so to think a year later that he really is not competitively relevant anymore is, is just kind of shocking. And you're right. The, the length of the statement uh, certainly took me, by surprise, it's like it's like me. If you give me like a six hundred word word count for a story, like I break out in hives. Like I don't know how I can cram uh, all of my thoughts into such a small window. And there was just there was a there was a a sentence in there where it just said like I guess where I'm going with all this is I cannot yes. thank everyone around me enough for supporting me no matter what happens. Like he doesn't have that many supporters. He has a very small team around him. He has obviously these long drive brothers who. Uh, this is kind of the brotherhood, the fraternity that he certainly never had uh, on the PGA Tour, where he was uh, definitely a loner and an outsider compared to some of his peers, while uh, the long drivers certainly are, are benefiting uh, from his impact, not just uh, his presence, but also his financial uh, investment as well. And so, I, I don't know, it seemed like it seemed a little bit like a, a cry for attention. Um, it, it seemed like, hey, guys, don't forget about me uh, type of thing, because, you know, once he plays this week in Thailand, you know, no one actually cares about his golf again. And that's shocking. That's 
that's sad because I think the PJ tour misses kind of his, his villainous aspect uh, that he would bring inside the ropes. You know what? You did such a good job with Callaway Reed. Go ahead. Read the whole statement. It's, it's like 600 words. Go ahead. You, you did a good job with the Callaway thing. Maybe this I can is barely, the way you I can barely talk. And you, and you want to make me suffer through this? No, no, no. It, it's fine. No, I, I'm with you. It, it does seem like a cry for attention. It seemed, it seemed sad to me just because you're right. He, he has come across. He has well, last year. He sort of fell into that role as villain. And I don't think he was even comfortable with that. Like, I think in retrospect, he probably asked himself at the end of last year, like, how did I, how did they end up here? Like, this isn't where I wanted to end up. I didn't want to end up with whatever man spat was going on between me and Brooks. And I didn't want to end up with the guy that was getting heckled at every golf tournament I showed up at. And this, and this in a weird way might be worse. You're right. Yeah, it is certainly uh, a little bit weird. Have we, have we prattled on long enough? Is there anything else that you wanted to get into besides fecal matter? Uh, no, I did want to point out, and this is such revisionist history, it, it, but it was weird. I think you and I talked at, at length about Ryan Fox not being on the international team. And this, this probably, well, it probably is the time to start second-guessing Trevor uh, Immelman, the, the captain of the international Ryan squad. Fox was not going to make a difference, nor was Mackenzie Hughes. Mackenzie Hughes. The, the it, they were not. They, and I love that. Were, but I love the way they were, Twitter, not, they were not going to make a difference. I love the way Twitter came alive. With the idea that, oh, look at what these two did that didn't make the team. And I felt like asking everyone who was taking these pod shots at Trevor, like, how much did you pay attention to the President's Cup? Did you even watch any of it? Because my guess is you did not. Because once the international team fell behind two to eight after the first two days, you probably, ah, this isn't going to work out. Now, that being said, I did argue. I thought Ryan Fox would have been a very, very good fit for that golf course. But you're right. It wasn't going to make any difference. That's it. I do find it interesting, though, like in the same week, the week after the President's Cup, both Mackenzie Hughes, who actually thought that he should have been on that team, and Ryan Fox, who most certainly should have been on that team. He's up to number 25 uh, in the world rankings, uh, one, and, and said that they were kind of motivated by that slight. When you look at who the uh, international team would have left off to make room for Ryan Fox, do you know the, who the name who I continually mentioned is not Pendrith. being deserving of that spot. You want to know who that player was? Pendrith. Pendrith. Nope. Taylor Pendrith. Nope. I absolutely had zero problem with Taylor Pendrith being on the team. Oh, I did. Six, he was six top outside six, the top 100 in the world. No. I know, but he had six top 15s in his last oh, seven God. starts. He missed four months because of an injury. The player I thought who did not deserve to be there based on his current history, he did not have a top 10 all year long, was Sebastian Munoz, who played arguably the best of any player on the internationals going to and one and beating Scotty Sheffield, the world number one uh, in single. Did not matter, of course, but Sebastian Munoz, uh, my apologies, my capitulations uh, for getting that one so wrong. I do find it interesting, though. I don't think Mac Hughes had quite as strong of a case as perhaps he thought he did, uh, but good for Mac Hughes. Six year winless drought uh, now over. No, and, and again, I just kind of wanted to throw that out there just because I'd love sort of the reaction on Sunday on social media about, look, look how wrong Trevor got it. He's so wrong. You fool. And Monday, just, Monday morning either, quarterback. No, it will, will never, will never not help. be fun. That will never not That's be right. fun. Like if you want to suddenly have, start having fun and, and let's, let's come up with a list of players that could have made a difference and we can just start from there. Like Rory, yeah, he would have made a difference. John Rahm, sure. We, could, we can keep going down the list, but no. Those two guys weren't going to change the outcome in Charlotte. Uh, absolutely not. You know who would have made a difference? Cameron uh, Smith, Joaquin Neiman, Louis Mark Ustazen, Leishman. Mark Leishman, Carlos Ortiz, Abe Answer. Maybe. Those guys. Maybe. I don't know. They would have been closer. Guys, no in doubt, all likelihood, 
would have made a difference. What what ended up being a five point victory uh, for the Americans to run their total to 12, one and one. You sent me a Snapchat on, I believe it was Saturday uh, as the illness was just starting to overtake me. It looked to be a pork butt. Uh, It was. That's right. Uh, How did it turn out? Uh, turned out really good. We had a whole bunch of people over, obviously, for football. It was Saturday. so And it was, it's kind of the first Saturday that I didn't have anything to do, uh, college football Saturday, that I didn't have anything to do. So it was it was glorious. It, you know that feeling you get when, like, I wake up early well, obviously, at 6.30. Obviously, you were paying attention to the Sanderson Farms, but other than that, yes. Uh, well, yeah, I've got a two-TV setup. I mean, there's a, there's a second screen going on. There's, there's multiple experiences going on out there. But there is a happiness in me when I walk out on my back porch on a Saturday morning and it, it actually felt like fall and it was amazing. And just yes, to start that's because, the, smoke that's because the hurricane hurricane just came through and ravaged yes, the state. That's true. Uh, but it, it felt glorious and fire up the, uh, the pit barrel smoker smoker and just spent all day on the back porch, watching TV, drinking beer, smoking a pork butt doesn't get any better. Oh, I mean, Saturday is by far my favorite day of the week. Sunday, half a day is spent with the family. The other half is spent of writing the monstrosity uh, that is the Monday scramble uh, for golfchannel.com that always gets pubbed early Monday morning. I'm with you, like waking up Saturday morning, firing up potentially the Blackstone for a nice big breakfast for the family. Cam uh, has flag football games at 9 a.m. I can get the smoker rolling if I want to. College football begins at noon, and I typically, well, I go to bed early, but I typically have college football on the entire day. Did, did have a little bit of a late sweat on saturday this actually reminds me rex of georgia's game against kent state they played saturday that's two weeks in a row that you had to sweat that oh out my, man that's two what weeks is in going a row. on so I, this is the president's cup the game time i was so excited it was actually going to fit like right in between the ending of the foursome session and the beginning of the afternoon four balls i was like all right perfect i can watch like a quarter and a half of this kent state game it's going to be like 30 points by that point i could turn off and go do my job i watched every single second of that game, which was just a 10 point uh, margin until late in the fourth quarter. It was even worse for the Missouri game. I mean, I was like, Oh, this is great. It's a seven 30 kick. I can be in bed uh, asleep by nine o'clock. As I mentioned, I've been sick. Kids have been sick. Like I was so looking forward to this. Instead, I'm screaming at the TV at like 10 45 as Georgia uh, finally mounts a comeback with five minutes left uh, in the fourth quarter. I love college football. It's so unpredictable. You can make the snacks and you still have a, an entire day of football slash golf watching, of course, uh, the next day on Sunday. It's the absolute best time of the year. I'm with you. The weather has been terrific to get outside and get cooking. Yes, yes. Uh, thanks to the hurricane. And I do apologize and hope everyone's well out there. Uh, but it, it has been glorious. It's been fall for like a week here in central Florida. And if you don't yes. live in central oh, Florida, 50, you think, oh, the degrees this morning. First, first week of October, it should be fall. We never get this. Like, this is not normal. Like, whatever it is that, that, that's wrong with the globe right now, or maybe right with the globe, whatever the case may be, I'm not getting into that. Definitely, However, definitely, definitely wrong. I can assure you it is definitely wrong. wrong. Definitely wrong. This has, this has been absolutely gorgeous, uh, glorious. What do you have on the cooker on Saturday, on this Saturday then? Well, that's a, that's a little bit of a tricky uh, concept. My mm-hmm. wife is going out of town for a, a charity event with her friend in Atlanta. So I'm home with the two Hellions. Uh, and mm-hmm. so I've got to do a little bit of advanced planning i believe my wife is coming home for dinner on saturday we'll probably do some smash burgers uh on the blackstone we're certainly doing some sirloin cap uh steaks uh tonight on the pk my uh almost uh, soon to be four-year-old uh, the aforementioned sick one uh, absolutely loves steak in fact he refuses to eat steak 
cooked by anyone other than his dad, uh, who is just the master of charcoal. So we'll be firing that up uh, tonight and probably Friday night since we're fending for ourselves. I'll, I'll just do it. I'll just do a pizza. Uh, I do have a couple wing recipes that I'd like to try for Sunday. And so, yeah, I mean, the weather's going to be 80 degrees. There's going to be plenty of good football and golf. Make sure you watch the Shriners Children's Open uh, on Golf Channel. Don't forget about that. Uh, But also some good football as well. Two two screens. That's that's the experience. You just got to go with two. Uh, I won't I won't be cooking anything. So as glorious as last Saturday was, we have uh, lacrosse games all day this Saturday. So, but you're supposed to bring. I I thought you're you're bringing the grill to the tailgate. Like you're going to start a tailgating situation. Haven't been able to do that yet. We do it at we do it at high school football games, which got pushed back. So we have uh, we actually have two games next week. We have a game on Monday and a game on Friday because the hurricane pushed a game back. So I will be tailgating twice next week, but nothing on Saturday. This is my, of course, my all caps uh, big idea is bringing tailgating to golf. I want to bring tailgating like a game day type setup to golf. I understand we have live from and we're on site. It's very exciting. Uh, I'm as big a fan of of live from as anyone. However, I think uh, we can bring like the college game day aspect more to golf. I don't, I'm not smart enough to come up with how, uh, but I do know the why. And I do think that would appeal to a younger demographic. Uh, I could show off my grilling skills. I think it would be fun for everyone. Uh, anyone who is interested in global warming, uh, make sure to reach out to Rex Hoggard at rex.hoggard at mbc.com. Any of you uh, currently Take suffering saving a beauty. In, in Fort Myers Beach, uh, be sure to send your wrath uh, to Rex as well. We do hope everyone uh, is on the mend and recovering after Hurricane Ian. But thank you guys for listening to this edition of the Golf Central Podcast presented by Callaway Golf. We'll be back next week for wrap on all things in the world of golf. Get out of the Petri dish, man.